Hello and welcome. I'm your hostess, Tanai, and I'm an intuitive coach. I help people feel fully self-expressed in their lives and relationships by learning to accept and love every part of themselves. For the past 10 years, I've worked with all kinds of sex and relationship experts to heal my own commitment phobia, to find out that there's actually no such thing. I'm ready to share everything that I've learned. So this podcast is my opportunity to debunk commitment phobia. So drop all your preconceived notions and tune in to hear what I've learned along my journey about what it takes for people to really create authentic and intimate connections. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everyone. Today's episode, I will be having a conversation with my therapist who I've worked with since I was around 15 years old. I've mentioned her on this podcast several times. So, you know, she knows me better than most people. And I've just created so many breakthroughs with her. It's amazing. I really consider her just such a powerful woman. I really think she almost has these witchy intuitive powers. I've worked through so much on such a deep level with her. And we're going to be doing a deep dive into attachment theory. I know it's something that has been very buzzy lately with the book attached and everyone's realizing, you know, how they are in their relationships has to do with the way that, you know, they related to their parents and what kind of attachment they had with their parents. So I hope you enjoy this deep dive into attachment theory and that it gives you some clarity about your relationships. And also, you know, Rosario, she has a really, a really beautiful perspective on how it's really just all about accepting ourselves just the way we are, regardless to the the way that we're attached um, or how we related to our parents. So check it out. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Commitment Fo podcast. Today, my guest is Rosario Garrido. She's been the uh, marriage and family therapist that I've been working with since I was around 15 years old. So it's really an honor to have her on this podcast because I've mentioned her on this podcast before. She was the first person that I worked with on everything related to intimacy and relationships and um, how it has to do with the relationship with parents. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to her today because she's going to be sharing some of the wisdom that I've learned um, through our sessions with all of you today. So thank you for being on the show. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? First, I want to say thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here sitting with you. Such an experience to see how you have applied your growth, your experience, your maturity, and who you have become to share all this with people that don't have the opportunity to take the footsteps that you have taken. Mm, Thank you so much. Thinking about it, I was thinking that you have created a forum, a space, but most of all a container. Container especially for young people that might never hear comments like the ones you're making and uh, uh, interviews like the ones you're having. But people can find out what it means to really be human, what it means to experience life, and what it means to go inward and figure out who you are so you have become the best that you can be. So it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you. Wow. What beautiful words. Yeah, I, I just got brought back to when I originally wanted to make a commitment phobe documentary. So I actually had come to Rosario's. Yeah, I came to Rosario's um, office and and I'd set up my camera and I interviewed her. And that was the first conversation that I had in this context of, hey, let's talk about this fear of intimacy and fear commitment isn't something that's normalized. And Rosario was very passionate about having people actually get rid of that term, like stop using the word commitment phobia because it doesn't actually exist. So that's where that whole thing was birthed. That was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so could you tell us what you do and, and a little bit of your experience? I'm a licensed psychotherapist, uh, licensed in marriage and family therapy and mental health counseling. Um, 
been working in the field for more than 30 years. And um, my passion is really helping everyone that comes to me to help them become empowered, to be the best that they can be. I don't believe in pathology. I don't believe in labels. I believe that we have had experiences that have limited us to some degree. And I also believe that those experiences were meant to be. So like you, Tanai, having experienced all that, you become like a wounded healer. Through your own wounds, you heal them. And now you're a voice that helps others seek the help that they can and encourage them to go deeper into themselves and be able to attract what you deserve that maybe you didn't have when you were a child. Yeah, I, I love the way that you put it. I should have you like introduce me on all of my episodes. But yeah, it's um, I've definitely learned how to uh, relate to everything that I've been through in that way of, wow, this actually builds who I am. And it um, very much has to do with my purpose here. You know, I'm very spiritual. So I know that my soul was calling for this so that I could be of service to other people. And you bring tears to my eyes. Because this is really what I believe. I believe that when you have a commitment to yourself, you're committing to life. And if you commit to life, you commit to heal whatever needs healing in order for you to become the person that you came to be. Um, Because interesting that we're so young and when we're born, we don't have conscious awareness. We operate mostly from your unconscious mind. And it's only at age seven that you begin to develop reasoning. But by the time you're seven, you have already created the foundation of your personality. And now you tell me, now they expect us to behave in certain ways and be a certain way and do certain things. When in reality, you have already created a relationship with yourself based on the relationship that other people had with you when you were growing up. Right. Yeah, so there's so much there that we're not conscious of that's ruling the way that we um, that we behave with other people. Yeah. So how early, you know, you're talking about experiences that shape the way that we are. So how, how early can those experiences be? Those experiences, according to specifically my own personal and professional experience, those experiences begin to mark us all the way from the moment that we're conceived. And now it is scientifically proven that a child in utero is internalizing not rational thinking, but vibrational information that stays at a cellular level within us for the rest of our lives. Wow. What are some of the most impactful examples for you that you've witnessed? I mean, I know you've, you've seen so many, but what's some that you could share? Uh, I tell you, this is deep than I Yeah. <laughs> This is very, very deep. We're ready for it. (laughs) Ready for it. Um, Someone in uterus that the mother perhaps had some experiences that were difficult. And the child is sensing that there's something happening with the mother. And the connection of this child with the mother, the child might, the, the embryo, could um, internalize the emotions that the mother was having in that moment in time and take them as as their own. And in other cases, um, a child that is born with a lot of responsibility to take care of others, to take care of the mother. Mm-hmm. And in reality is that something was happening in utero that the mother was not taking care of acknowledging the baby that was there. And the child reversed the role and begins to feel a need to take care of the mother. Obviously, at that age, we're really looking for if something happens. This is, we're not thinking, but this is usually what happened. The child begins to feel the abandonment, the detachment mm, so right. early on in life. Right. And it's, yeah, I mean, personally, that's part of my journey. You know, and my we talked about how my, my mom had a really hard time um, with her pregnancy. And it's still something that I'm working on today because... Yeah, there's, you know, there's that whole attachment piece to it, which we're going to talk about today. And also the like the newest discoveries that because um, there's so much suffering in it for her, 
it's like I've taken on that belief about life. Like it's, there's always going to be suffering and I'm and I have like um, a low th- tolerance to pain because of that belief that, you know, life can't be painful or the fear of pain. So, yeah, it's really interesting to consider that moment that people or that period of time that people don't really talk about being in in the uterus. And people don't even know about, but in certain uh, therapeutic processes that could be tapping to. Mm. How so? Well, one one is with family constellations. Mm-hmm. Another one is looking at the symptom. And when you look at the symptom and you take a look at the, the story where it comes from, through the, uh, the uh, interjection of verbal language, we're able to work at the cellular level with the right frame of mind doing sort of a part integration mm-hmm. uh, of the child, the wounded child that we carry with the adult that we now are. Mm. Yeah. Can you tell the listeners what parts integration is, is all about? This is going to be a long interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can just give a, you know give us a little a little intro into into what kind of. If I yeah. had, if this was visual, I could show you a little figurine that I have that shows um, a storyteller came from Mexico, with a solid figure that has attached little tiny babies, and it symbolizes how we are a totality, we're whole. But inside of us, we have the different parts that sometimes are contradictory in their behavior and where they take us. You want to do one thing, and in another moment, you're doing something else. Mm-hmm. Right? So those are things that live inside of us, the part that critiques us, the ones that wants to be a victim, the ones that wants to be always right. This is all different voices inside of us that come from our, the fragmentation that we carry from early experience. Mm-hmm. And so it's a beautiful work to begin to identify which part of me is acting up now. I'm not talking multiple personalities. Right. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if we notice, if we go internally, we go inside and we examine ourselves, how, where we're coming from and what voice is operating in us. We're going to see how many times we want to do one thing, we do something else. And that contradiction is not that there's something wrong with us. It's just that something has to be done to take a look at ourselves mm-hmm. and bring these two parts together because every single part inside of us carries a positive intention. Mm, right. So it's like when you think about it in a relationship, it's, you know, for people who sabotage the intimacy or the relationship, it's like that part of you that wants to be in a committed relationship. And then there's a part of you that wants to run away. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, today... What we wanted to talk about was attachment theory, which I thought was interesting is when I when I told you I wanted to talk about it, you got all excited and said, this is at the root of everything. You know, it's it's really at the root of who we are and how we relate to other people. Um, why is that so? Yeah, it's so because a lot of times when we think of relationships and a lot of what is talked about in terms of commitment, right? Commitment. And intimacy are two separate different things. Usually in a relationship, we commit to a relationship. And commitment usually, usually comes from an intellectual level. There's an action. It's dynamic. I want to commit to the relationship. I make all this effort to go out with you, to date, to visit, to go on trips, and to exchange information. That's the commitment, to be open in front of another person and to become who I am in front of you and who you are in front of me. That's a commitment that we make as human beings on an everyday basis. We're relational beings, right? And in that part of the commitment, uh, there's a freedom in the relationship. The situation becomes when we begin to create so much a level of intimacy. And there's intimacy at different levels. There's an intellectual level, where we're exchanging information, values, ideas, beliefs, or, or what attract us. There's physical information, which is the physical touch that goes all the way to just holding hands to having sexual relationships. We have emotional exchange when we're able to open ourselves and talk about how we feel in front of the other. And we have the spiritual um, uh, intimacy also, 
which has to do at a deeper level when you're able to feel someone at that deep level, or even when you're talking about your spirituality and your beliefs in, in, in things other than just intellectual uh, material. In order to create that intimacy, there's got to be a level of trust. There's got to be a level of acceptance. Right. There's got to be a level of honesty. We have to feel safe. Right? We have to have compassion for each other, compassion for ourselves, and understanding. All are all ingredients that outside of making a commitment, from the commitment, then we move slowly into the level of intimacy. So a lot of people can commit to start a relationship. When we begin to move into the intimacy levels, then we're talking at a different realm. We're talking at a different level. Because what happens when we get to that part of intimacy. When we get to the part of intimacy, we begin, things begin to surface. So now I'm talking about some part within us mm-hmm. that begins to doubt, that begins to feel cold feet, that begins to create arguments without realizing that we're creating an argument, that begin to find faults, right? That begins to complain about who knows yeah. all of you are thinking about right now yeah, what, little things a little that, things that, that become a lot bigger a lot bigger and we make it bigger right right and so does this have to do with commitment no, no. <laughs> does his have that some people i have to say that there are people that are not willing to make commitments but it's not because they're out of fear there are people whose personalities are personalities that are very independent. And so there's a study of the Myers-Briggs where we're able to see how your personality profile shows that some people don't want to commit. Not because they don't want to commit, but they don't want to be tied down. Mm. So there's that association between commitments and lack of freedom. And lack of freedom sometimes. Yeah, because you commit to having to do things that you don't want, but you do it for the commitment of the relationship. And in every relationship, that ingredient has to exist. Right. And how much has has commitment been really affected by our idea of, you know, because I remember we once talked about how... Um, how the fear of commitment comes because commitment is associated with like forever. Right. So, so is that, you know, do do we just, is that like a nature nurture thing? Like, does that just come with us or is that because we have grown up in a society where marriage has, you know, has been painted as something that lasts forever. Grew up in a society where commitment and when you have a religious ceremony, even a not religious ceremony, the ritual is that you commit until we die. Right. And that's very serious commitment. And a lot of relationships have stayed together for the sake of that ritual that then created a level of sacrifice and, and not being so committed because the commitment is no longer there when the couple doesn't want to stay together. The commitment is broken at that moment. Right. But two individual people, independent people coming together out of freedom to say, it's okay for me to be with you now. And for now, in my mind, it's going to be forever. But no one holds the future in their hand. Right. No one knows that. We all trust, right, that what we're doing is the right thing. And if we trust that what we're doing is the right thing, then we surrender to life for life to take us where we need to go next. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's the process of committing first to our own selves. And then to those that we are with, right? So talking about the fear of commitment, because commitment is an active action that we make. At that level, you're committing. But when you go into the steps of committing, into going deeper into the relationship, and you move into the intimacy of a relationship, that intimacy is what sometimes begins to create fear anxiety, uncomfortableness. And most of the time, it's not at the rational, the intellectual, and the conscious level. The fear is very, very deep. Right. Very, very deep. And what is the fear? Usually the fear is a fear of abandonment. 
severe pain, severe rejection, severe feeling disappointed with the expectations that we have and what people are not going to be able to give us. And all these fears, the fear of abandonment, the fear of feeling the pain, the sadness, the hurt, the feeling of being rejected, they all come usually from very early experience. We are people of habits. We learn something early on and we keep repeating it. And we go back and recycle to it without even realizing it. Right. Even as a society. Yeah, with fashion. Even the way you dress, even the way you hold your body, even the way you hold your hands, even the way you brush your teeth, the, t- the way you remove your clothing and the, the, way, the way you handle life in an everyday basis. If you observe yourself, we're, I would say, 90% habit-oriented, right? And so are our emotions inside of us also. We are very much habitual in how what we feel, in how much we repeat that emotion without even realizing. Um, so this is where I want to talk a little bit about the whole idea of attachment, right? I, we started talking about attachment from the very beginning when a child is in uterus and we're definitely attached to a to our umbilical cord that holds us together in that container. That's our first imprint of attachment. That's where it all begins. Interesting enough, we're attached by an umbilical cord inside a womb. Mm-hmm. Now we're born, and nowadays a lot of babies are given a bottle, but originally the human nature is to attach the baby to the breast. Right. And the breast is available for that baby to suck from the breast what it needs. So there's availability. That that milk is available to the baby and the baby is the one that sucks from it. The baby takes from the mother and the mother is available to take from the baby. So that's our nature, our human nature, is to take what we need and to have the resources. But interesting enough, a lot of times what we expect it to be given to us is not really there available. Because a lot of times, and we oft- I often say that we are not taught how to be humans. We're taught everything about outside of ourselves. Where do we go to learn what we're talking here today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we really don't. No one teaches us these things. They, they teach us what society expects of us and what we should do to, you know, be be part of the community and lead a good life. They just tell you, like, go find a partner, but they don't really tell you the nitty gritty. Right. But before you find a partner, do we really have to find ourselves in, the, mean, pr- yeah. in the process yeah. of that? Definitely right? not something we talk about. Yeah. But this is the gift. How do I find myself in the process of finding a partner? How do I embrace myself? How I take myself gently and lovingly and look at the limitations that I might be having, not as a defect, but as an ingredient that has to be looked at, healed and integrated, right? I'm speaking my mind as I talk, as things that comes along, because what comes to mind now is that as we talk about this, the reality that in order to create change, right, in order to see who we really are, there's, gotta, there's three A's. The first A, like triple A come to the rescue. The first A has to do with admitting. How do I admit that there's something in the way of me getting in a close relationship? The second one is accept. Once you accept, admitting has to do with the mental part of us. And accepting moves it to the body, moves it to the heart. And in the admitting and the acceptance is when the action comes in. And the first action is embracing our truth. There's not two people that are alike. The greatest gift of what we're talking about is that when you open a forum for people to talk, to talk honestly, to just open and express how you feel, 
you will find how, how many people feel the same way you do. And how through history, this has repeated itself forever. Because to me, this is human nature. We're born with the basic need to be loved, to be accepted, to feel acknowledged, and to feel protected. For someone to have our backs. This is the basic of attachment theory. When those four needs are there, I begin to love and accept myself because you become a mirror of how I need to treat myself. So I ask the audience a question. When you think of yourself, were your parents able to give you all those ingredients exactly how you needed them? And I'm going to find a lot of heads saying, no, not exactly the way I needed it. Yeah. To me, this is mystery, the mystery of life. That we're born with those basic needs. That our parents don't have it because they didn't get it. And yet, there's something missing in us. And our perception, when we're not acknowledged, we're not accepted, or we're not protected the way that we expect, what begins to happen inside of us? What do we do with that information if we begin to experience that my needs are not being met? Can I, can you think of that? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I needed a lot of validation and attention for my expression. You know, I had a lot to share. I had a lot of artistic talents that I wanted to share. And, you know, everyone else had a cap on how, how much attention they could give me. And I wanted it, all of it. And so there were also times when I didn't get it at all, and it was too painful to not get it. So I said, "Mm, I'm just not going to share it. So my question is, how did you feel? What were were your conclusions? Yeah. So so when they they weren't really listening to me, you know, and giving me the attention I needed, I I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like, um, because especially with my siblings being different than me, I just thought, oh, I'm not as like, I'm not as um, right-brained as them or as book-smart as them, so I'm not good enough being the artistic and more expressive girl that I am. Yeah, and that's usually what happens. I'm not good enough. I'm defective. They don't love me, right? Um, I'm not going to amount to anything or even the embarrassment of who I am. Because a lot of times we feel shame. Or we feel rejected in what happens. Definitely relate to those. Right. So this is exactly what happens, what we looked at, in how basic needs that we have. Parents that don't have what it takes, right? Because they didn't get it. And then we create these attachments, fears, preventing this story to repeat itself because then we begin to act in a guarded way. We begin to protect ourselves. And in this process, who really abandoned us? We're really abandoning ourselves. Yeah, because we're not, we're limiting um, our true self-expression and our true being. And we're the ones believing that I am defective. Right. Yeah, because even there's times when our parents really intended us to give us everything. They didn't even realize that we're making meaning or that some moment traumatized us that to them, they were going through their own thing. And I'll tell you a true story. I remember, I mean, 20 years ago, uh, I was already married with kids and everything. And my parents came to help me and I was not feeling well. and, and uh, my father was always complaining and always looking at the negative. And, and I said to my dad, Dad, I wish at some point, instead of complaining and criticizing me, that you will give me a kiss and a hug. And he looked at me and he said to me, how can I give you something that I never got? Wow. That's a deep response. Right. Right. And it was true. My yeah. dad was a child, the eighth 
child in a family of seven boys and one girl. And uh, and back then, you know, there was not that much help. And, and, and so he grew up just raised by his own siblings. And so beautiful relationship with the siblings. They are like, like glued together, mm. right? And that's when I was able to appreciate how many times we take it personally when it's not really about us. It's about the mysteries that we don't know why we can with these needs. And then we're given, or we've chosen, we're choosing parents that are really not there to be able to provide. Right. So this is the foundation if we're going to talk about um, attachment theory. Attachment is what happens when a child grows up and experiences certain limitations in the exchange of mother and child. It could even be, so it, 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 the attachment gets created, the healthy and the unhealthy attachment gets created very early in life. And it's usually the mother because it's the person that is the provider of the basic needs of the child at that time. It could be a father. So it could be someone close that was taking care of that child, like a grandmother or, or someone like that. So in, in attachment theory, there are four types of attachment. Secure attachment, which is the attachment that rises when the child has a need and the need is, is answered. Child cries because he's hungry, is wet, and within a period of time, it doesn't have to be immediately, but five, ten minutes of a child being cranky, this, that, and the other, the mother, the father, whoever is taking care of the child will come and give a bottle or give a breast. So the child has a need, then it is taken care of. So that's basic, basic need, right? And that's what begins to create the secure attachment, right? There are four categories of attachment. The secure attachment, the anxious, persistent, insecure attachment, the anxious avoidant insecure attachment, and the disorganized or disoriented insecure attachment. So one is secure and three are insecure. Wow. Right. <laughs> so I can just imagine the percentage of people that are living around us. Right. Exactly. So this is why I say this is mystery of life. Yeah. We're going to take a look to resolve this and pretend that there's something wrong with us. I say, as human beings, we're all going to experience something like this. Mm. And we grow through acknowledging that this is happening. And we grow through forms like the ones that you provide people to be able to come and talk about it and find ways of asserting ourselves and taking care of ourselves in how we treat ourselves is what's going to make a difference. So I'm going to talk um, a little bit about the anxious resistant. It's a child that displays elevated anxiety when the stranger is introduced to the environment, even while the mother is there. So this is the anxious resistant insecure because the child did not secure completely with the mother. When a stranger comes in, the child feels insecure because the child doesn't feel the energetic connection with the mother. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how does that then play out into your adult life? Well, think about it. A stranger comes into the child's life and the child is cautious. Okay. So so that would be someone who right from the beginning is sort of very, very cautious to start. I don't like to make generalizations. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because then we can say, oh, this one. Yeah, I, right. I think it's a lot deeper than that. Mm -hmm. But it could be something like that. Mm -hmm. It could be because it is the moment that someone can get close to you, but you did not get close to someone when it came and you felt the attachment. Someone comes in and you're going to feel insecure. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's very, very uh, primal, the, the, uh, the emotion. The um, the anxious avoidant insecure attachment, the child displays ambivalence when the mother is present or not present. Why? Because here is anxious avoidant. 
the mother never connected with that child. So the child become a little bit numb. It's almost like um, someone with severe um, anxious avoidance can develop borderline personality disorder. Really? Wow, what's the connection? The connection is that a child ha- had to grow up solely taking care of herself. I'm going to, before I finish, the, the, so let me finish the names and then I'm going to talk about, about something very important. Okay. Um, and the child really clings to the caregiver and sometimes even refuses to be held. That's the avoidant type. And it makes sense when you look at the uh, anxious, avoidant, anxious that I'm not going to connect, and avoidant, or the anxious that I'm going to reject. Right? Mm-hmm. And then disorganized. The disorganized child that falls into this category may appear distressed when the mother exits and shows immediate relief upon her return. However, the child may not want to be helped or may exhibit anger once the mother approaches. This has a lot to do, and the way that I learned it is that a mother that says, honey, come give me a kiss, and the child approaches and the mother says, wait, 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 not so hard. Oh, wait, 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 let me finish this first. So there's an ambivalence, there's, there's, there's a, a disorganization in the message that's being received and the continuation of what is the exchange that takes place. Wow. What would you say is happening to babies now who are who've been raised during the quarantine and have just been with their mothers and feel very uncomfortable around other people? What would that fall into? I don't know that that would be um, that we can take a look at it that way. Okay. Because the child is it's it's creating a bonding with the mother, but not because of the space. That was happening externally. It's really what the mother brings. Oh, okay. Makes sense? Yeah, totally. Right? So in the midst of all this that we're talking about, we're talking about self-regulation. Self-regulation is another important subject when we talk about uh, attachment theory. And what is self-regulation? Self-regulation is the capacity of, of us as human beings to be able to have an emotion and at some point have some control of it. The child begins to learn self-regulation when a child is fed and the anguish of a child is calm and it doesn't go to levels of high anxiety. Hmm. So what, what's an example of that? A child that was left to cry for too long. And I see it like emotionally, we create groups into our system where you go out and you come back again emotionally, right? So in and out, that's how we learn self-regulation. But a lot of times, the child's needs are not being taken care of and the child feels desolated, not taken care of. So doesn't have a container to hold that child. And it's almost like with gesture, the child will hear someone say, it's okay. We're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. A lot of times you see people that rock themselves. Right. Is that like what they call self-soothing for babies when they're crying? Self-regulation. Okay. Self-soothing, yeah. self-regulation. Oh, interesting. I actually never knew what self-soothing meant. So leave the baby to self-soothe when it cries in the middle of the night. A little bit. If you let the child a little bit. You're teaching the child, but if the child continues to cry and is not able to do it, then you have, because this is not all or nothing. If you give it too much, then the child is just couch potato. You give it all to me, and, and I don't have to do anything for myself. So this is a healthy boundary of the give and take, the exchange, right? That is so important in life. I give, you take, and I take, you give. And that's, and I give you and you take from me. So that's the exchange that takes place. And this goes all the way back to what I talked at the beginning. The umbilical cord, the breast. We learn to exchange. This is foundation in a relationship. That two people come together 
And there's a process of giving and taking. Giving and taking. Okay? So I'm going to read a little bit of some of the, um, just a few child experiences, right? Um, what is the unmet attachment need of the child and how that child can show up in a relationship. Okay? Perfect. Because I was going to ask for, for examples and then ask you what type is that. So that's great. So you tell me what type it is when I read. Okay. <laughs> I don't have an eye, so you have to pump with me. Being shamed when you mess up or did something wrong. That's the child's experience. Okay. The unmet attachment need. They need to feel worthy and lovable as a person even when you mess up. And how can that show up in relationship? Being overly defensive from real or perceived criticism from partner. Yeah, I have no idea, but that's such an interesting um, correlation. Right. And they not necessarily match. Right. But it's just like a possible. It's the possibilities of what happened, you know. Uh, having adult responsibilities at too young of an age. Right? It happens a lot with uh, with children that parents have to go to work and they have to stay alone. Mm-hmm. Or parents that drink a lot or depressed. Or even an older child when a younger child is born. It's very typical of that age. Right? right? Or they expect the um, they expect the younger child to you, you expect the oldest child, right, to to be taking care of herself because her mom is too busy taking care of the other child. So they need to have caretakers who were who are willing to protect you emotionally and put your needs first. Is your meta dash. And and how will show up in relationships is being overly independent, controlling your partner. Over caretaking your partner. Why? Because if I take care of you, you will not abandon me. Wow. Yeah. That that's that wasn't gonna be one of my questions, and that totally makes sense. Childhood experience, parent who gave you the silent treatment as a punishment. This is very common. We've seen it a lot. And so this creates a need in that child to feel emotionally safe and that they would not be abandoned when you make a mistake. So it creates a lot of perfectionism in that sense. So this adult will have difficulty allowing their partner space when there's conflict, panic, or uh, over-conflict. So in the midst of a conflict, they will not allow their partner to leave. They will stay in that conflict because of the fear of the silent treatment. Wow. It's wild. What? Childhood experience. Caretaker who took it personally when you misbehaved. Mm. You do this to me. How can you do this? Do you not? Right? Right. This is the attachment. Your met attachment need. Um, they need to learn and grow from childhood mistakes instead of learning to be good, to keep your caretaker okay. So the feeling, this individual will have the feelings, have a need to control your partner's feeling by hiding your own thoughts, feelings, and or behaviors. Wow. So you live guarded. Right. You feel, and can you... I'm wondering about the audience, you know, people identifying with some of these behaviors, even if it's just a little bit, not to be concerned about this, not to be concerned, right? Because we all have an attachment, um, something to consider with our attachment. I don't think that anyone is exempt from this. This is just information that gives you the freedom to begin to examine, right, yourself and figure out. What happens to me when I'm being feeling close to someone, when I'm really becoming intimate? And it doesn't have to be only in relationship with a partner. It could be in groups of friends because it all began in the family system, right? And it usually happens that we, what we create in our family of origin gets duplicated 
in any group that we participate of and be part of. At work, in the fresh friendship of a group of friends, when you get together with friends or close friends, pay attention how you do it. And pay attention how maybe you don't do it in certain people. Mm-hmm. How you are able to do create safety in relationship when you feel safe and you feel contained and approved and accepted mm-hmm. by the people that you're with. Yeah, that's a good point because it makes you think about like what is there in that relationship that you feel safe and you feel, yeah, comfortable to be yourself. And I think the biggest like the biggest thing is is for people to to see the connection between their inner child and how they're showing up in relationship and that there's nothing wrong with them. It's literally your inner child. Like you said, you know, it, going back to what you said about our parts, it's like it's not you who's reacting. It's your inner child who's just remembering, you know, how it was when you were little. And so you're behaving in ways that maybe don't make sense to you or you don't really want. Um, but it feels good and it feels safe because that's what you needed to do as a child. Right. And I always say, you know, this is my my logo, the most fulfilling journey is the journey inward. So the journey inward is when you become empowered so that you begin to take charge of your life. And when you begin to, to say, oh, my God, so this is excitement to find this information. When you feel excited of what you're uncovering and discovering, that's true freedom. That's the empowerment, not the other way around. Right, because a lot of people get caught up in, in oh, I want to heal, but then it's easy to start feeling like, well, I'm actually trying to fix myself. Like, I'm actually seeing all these things that are wrong in me, and I want to get fixed so that I can have the relationship or the job or the happiness or the success. And a lot of times we want to fix it immediately. This is something that has happened from the very beginning of your life. The first seven years of life is already established. And so this is where the tremendous compassion, tremendous amount of compassion and acceptance, it begins with you and you alone. You cannot expect it from others when you're not able to give it to yourself. This is where the attachment begins. Um, because the reality, if we, if we take a look at it, we detach from ourselves to the judgments that we have made of ourselves. Am I able to sit in front of a mirror, to stand in front of a mirror, to look at myself in the eyes and say, I take you just as you are. I take you just as you are. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to go in and figure out what is it that makes you uncomfortable. Let's do it together. This is part of the parts integration process. Right? right? Uh, Because the the other, the last of of these um, examples is being praised. For your accomplishments, with little curiosity about your inner experience, where everything is done about how, how nice you do things. So the attention is paid on what you do, but what about who you are? Right? So what is the need that was not met? Was the need to feel that you are valuable for your whole self, not just how you look, how you perform. Wow. Yeah, and I could see that be a big thing. You know, a lot of my friends who are Asian, you know, they have parents that are very, that you know, from the moment that they were in elementary school were very strict about, you know, the performance at school and the studies and the doing and, yeah, very hard on them on what to do for performance. Right, and a lot of what happens here that there's a lot of focus done on the exterior. Free and proper. Everything has to be okay. Everything has to be that. And so the journey inward is really what's needed because a lot of attention was done to the outside of how you looked and what you did and what you did right and also what you did wrong, but only from performance, not really from essence. Right. And so how can this show up in relationship? It's difficulty emotionally connecting placing too much emphasis on appearance and achievements. So this is the the awareness that comes from acknowledging that we are relational beings, not in the doing, but in the being. And if you're able, if you have something to write with, 
identified and, and you're able to, to put it someplace to see the four basic needs. They need to be acknowledged. They need to feel accepted. They need to feel protected that someone has your back. They need to feel loved just as you are. And so the question is, where do I look for this? In my relationships, when am I acting from one of those needs? And how much of this am I doing for myself? How do I acknowledge myself versus how do I reject myself? How do I recognize my gifts? How do I accept my limitations when I compare myself with others? When I compare myself from where I come and where I am, and where, when do I accept the things that are part of me and, and this is who I am? Like personality traits or looks or, you know, size, so many different ways. And how do I love myself? I'm expecting someone to love me unconditionally. But if I don't do that to myself, I will never even know what it feels like. Because if I don't give it to myself, how do I know what it feels when I am acknowledged and accepted? Mm. If I'm looking for it on the outside. Mm. Yeah, will you even be able to receive it or recognize it? Right, because you are so much focusing in what you have to prevent that you're not focusing on what is already there. Mm. Yeah. This is what I call coming home to yourself. You've gone too far, too far out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we have to take, take that invisible little cord and bring ourselves back to find that the truth is inside each of you. We hold our truth one outside. We cannot expect someone and we cannot give someone the power to tell you who you are, how much you are valued, and what you deserve. You know, I think I have a young audience listening to me now. And if you were able to listen this today and begin to apply this to your life, I cannot tell you the rewards. When you find yourself in the depthness of your truth, acknowledging what your needs are, having a friend to talk to and sharing your truth, right? having little groups to converse and to talk about how it feels to be acknowledged and where do I look for the acknowledgement? How do I acknowledge myself? And do the same thing with all those ingredients. Then the key is that what we look for in being acknowledged, being accepted, feeling protected, and feeling loved, the bottom line, the root of this all, is that we're seeking to belong. And we cannot belong if we don't take ourselves completely for who we are. This is where we become fragmented. Mm. And your self-worth is not from what others taught you. Your self-worth is based in the beliefs that you have carried about you that sometimes we need to edit and debug. Mm. This is the big work. Not, not the commitment and not the phobia and not the attachment of where we come from. But in reality, what do I do with all this today? Mm-hmm. Today, I take a look at where I come from and I figure out where I don't want to be a year from now. I don't want to be in the same place that I am. I want to figure out that from now until next year, I'm going to work on my own next month or next week or tomorrow begin to work on it, right? Yeah, I think of like someone who's packing up their bags and is like, all right, I'm ready to move on from this place, you know, and and I'm going on this journey. And like every journey, it's going to come with all sorts of ups and downs and beautiful discoveries and adventures. Right. Because this is really the uncovery and the discovery of treasures that are inside of you that only you hold because we're unique and special. There's no duplicates. No one exists exactly like you. So there's no way to compare. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself perfect for a relationship. 
do not fall into that huge trap. You become the best that you can be and your vibration will attract the person that will accompany you in the journey. Because what is relationships really? Relationship is two individuals who are willing to share their life for the sake of growing together and helping each other grow. That's a relationship. Mm -hmm. Having fun is part of it. Enjoying it is part of it. But when you make that commitment that you want to be the best that you can be, I truly believe that life puts into your path all the ingredients that you need when you begin to pay attention to what crosses your path, even the inconveniences. Mm. I have learned to bless crisis. Every crisis is just a wake-up call saying something needs to be different than what it is. And when you embrace crisis, you cease to be a victim of the circumstances. And you become a participant. Wow. That's so beautiful. It's almost like, you know, when you start getting stomach aches from eating dairy. And so all it is is like, okay, you know, remove the dairy and you're going to start feeling better. Exactly. This wake up call. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. I'm feeling so inspired and and just full of love from hearing you speak about this. and bringing it back to the importance of just, yeah, coming together with all these parts and loving every part so that these parts feel like they belong within you. Yeah, that's, I mean, from working so many years together, that's that's definitely my biggest me- message with my clients, which is um, we talk so much about loving ourselves and we're like, okay, let's just focus on those things that we love. But the parts that need the most love are our inner critic, and our little child and um, and the perfectionist, all these different parts of us that we're shaming usually and we're, we're demanding them to change when they really want love. Very important that you say that because this is very, very important. In loving the critic, the one that shames you, the one that rejects you. It's difficult to love it at the beginning, right? Yeah, of course. But if you begin by accepting it, that's also loving it. Accepting it, why? And this is going to sound very strange, but believe me, please. Every single one of those parts, even though they shame, they create guilt, or they reject, those parts have a positive intention. And the positive intention is always, always, in all the work that I do, in every therapy that I do, in every client that I see, the bottom line of every process is the need to belong. So the part that is being um, judgmental, critical, shaming, that part wants you to change and be perfect so that you can belong. So look at it from that perspective. So we do not throw away those parts. They carry a lot of energy. So we integrate the energy that it carries. We just give them a different job description with the same intention. Right. Right? Yeah. So good. Well, thank you so much for the conversation today. Um, I really hope that, that, like you said, young people listen and... And they, they're more compassionate with themselves and see this as a journey of self-love um, and see relationship as, relationships as opportunities for, for growth. I love that you said that a relationship is two people growing together, not two people being perfect for each other. Because that's another thing that we have, you know, been ingrained, been ingraining in our brains. And, and we definitely have to, you know, put that one aside. Yeah. 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 So then I, in, in terms of perfection, I would like to invite the audience to change the word perfection for excellence. You never, you will never be perfect, but you can reach your excellence. Excellence has potential. Perfection brings value. So when you strive for your excellence, it's becoming each day the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. And that is both. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful last words. 
Thank you so much. And how can my um, listeners reach out to you if um, they want to work with you or if they have any questions? You can post my telephone number and my uh, my personal email. And I'd be more than likely to, to respond to any questions. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Commitment Phobe. If this episode left an impact on you, please share with friends, family, loved ones, ex-lovers, the people in your life who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations. If you're curious about the kind of work that I do as an intuitive coach, head on over to my website, www.tanaimelgram.com, where you can learn more about what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients, group coaching programs, and you can set up a discovery call with me to see how I can be of support to you. You could also follow me on Instagram on my handle at Tanai Milgram. I'm always posting content about what I'm up to and new insights, new learnings that I'm getting along my journey. And please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you like what you heard. So together we can start changing the conversation we're having about intimacy and commitments. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.